Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole, and ah, it is an awkward time to have a sinus infection, let me tell you. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter, and the Instagram, and of course, the Facebook page, where we can be found over at facebook.com slash how, how good it is, pod. Who's, who's we? You know, as the COVID-19 outbreak continues across the United States, more school districts are closing. And for the millions of kids who normally eat free or reduced price meals at school, this could mean no longer having breakfast or lunch. Here in Baltimore, some of the students at the school where I do my day job get literally three meals in school, so they are missing out on a lot. You can help make sure children get the meals that they need by donating now at feedingamerica.org coronavirus. This message was brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. But let me add a little bit extra to this because here's an opportunity I just found out about. If you go over to podchaser.com between now and April 16th, 2020, for every podcast review you leave there on that site, Podchaser will donate 25 cents to Meals on Wheels America. You can leave as many reviews as you like. And here's the better part. If the podcaster replies to that review, Podchaser will double it to 50 cents. The only restrictions are that your review has to be at least 20 characters in length and the reviews have to be unique. No copy and pasting jobs allowed. But that's it. Just go to podchaser.com, search out your favorite podcast, hint, 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 and leave a review. It is so easy and the shows you love get to love you back. Here's some fun trivia for you today. Jimmy Crack home, I don't care. Jimmy Crack home, and I don't care. Jimmy Crack calling, I don't care. The master's gone away. Daniel Decatur Emmett was a composer from Ohio who was working in New York City as a songwriter and a performer for stage shows. But of all the songs he wrote, nowadays very few of his compositions still has any level of fame, although this is one of them, Jimmy Crack Corn. But there is another song that was huge in its day, and it's still very well known today. What still famous song does this native of Ohio and resident of New York City have on his resume? I'll have that answer to that question and the story behind it near the end of the show. One chance to bite him on the thigh. Oh, the devil take the blue tail fly. Jimmy Crack Have you ever heard of bibliomancy? Bibliomancy is a belief dating back to the 1700s that says if you pick up a book, and it's usually the Bible, but it doesn't have to be, and you open it to a random page, well, the first word or sentence that you see will reveal something important, whether it's a prediction of the future or a personal epiphany, depending on the model that you use. And there's a little bit of that going on with today's show, because this week we're talking about Rhiannon, the 1976 hit by Fleetwood Mac. But before we do that, we have to go back a couple of years. And by a couple of years, I'm talking about the medieval days and the British-Welsh literary tradition, specifically a series of stories called the Mabinogion. I'm going to screw that up several times, I can tell. In those stories, Rhiannon is a pretty important goddess type of figure who comes from the underworld, and she was known for being intelligent, beautiful, wealthy, and generous, but also rather strong-willed. In fact, Rhiannon chose a human prince named Pwyll over another god as her consort, even though she was already betrothed to that god. 
She has a baby named uh, Pryderi with Pwil, and Pryderi is kidnapped. Rhiannon is accused of killing the baby and is forced to confess to the murder, but the baby is found later on. Later on, she marries a man from a British royal family, and she has more adventures involving enchantments. Now, it could be argued that Rhiannon is an echo of an earlier Celtic deity, but we're not going to worry about that part. You just need to know that Rhiannon was a character in medieval Welsh stories. Now, let's jump into a more modern time and an author named Mary Bartlett Leader. Leader wrote a book that was published in 1972 called Triad, a novel of the supernatural. The book itself wasn't anything special. In fact, it's out of print these days, and getting a used copy is expensive only because of this song and the fact that it was Triad that inspired Stevie Nicks to write the song. For what it's worth, you can get copies of the uh, Mabinogion from Amazon, and there's even a free edition available for your Kindle, and I'm going to talk about that just a little bit later. Anyway, there's a character in Triad who believes that she's being possessed by the spirit of a woman named Rhiannon. So Rhiannon, the character in Triad, has practically nothing to do with Rhiannon, the Welsh goddess. But Nyx read this book, which she later described as trashy, and was kind of enchanted by the name. And around Halloween of 1974, she started conjuring a story of her own about someone named Rhiannon. Now, as it happens, she started to put together a series of songs related to Rhiannon, possibly with the idea of building an entire album or maybe even a movie around the character. In fact, this track from the Fleetwood Mac album Tusk, called Angel, was originally based in the Rhiannon story. a couple of things intervened before she could bring that project to fruition. First was the fact that she and Lindsay Buckingham were still an act separate from Fleetwood Mac, and it wasn't very long after she wrote the song that the two of them joined the group. So Rhiannon the song, plus Monday Morning and I'm So Afraid, all of which appeared on the 1975 album Fleetwood Mac, were originally slated to appear on the second Buckingham Knicks album, which never happened because they joined Fleetwood Mac, and also probably because... Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks broke up while the band was making the Rumors album. Anyway, although Buckingham and Nicks had been performing the song a little bit when they were a duo, she gave her demo version of the song to Fleetwood Mac to, you know, flesh it out a little bit, see what they could do with providing the right mood for this character she created. According to an interview in uh, 1976 that she did with Jim Ladd, Nick said that when she was asked about the vibe that Rhiannon is supposed to inspire, she told them that, quote, it's when you feel like you see a seagull and she's, she's like lifting up. Well, that's Rhiannon, unquote. And there are other sources where Nick has described the song as having the feel of a bird lifting off. So she's really latched onto that imagery. But the band was able to take that piano-based demo and really flesh it out into a full-on image. The bottom line of all this is that Stevie Nicks didn't discover until later on that the name Rhiannon derived from the Welsh goddess, at which point she began to introduce the song to audiences with some version of, this song is about an old Welsh witch. Welsh witch, Welsh witch, okay. Now, one of the things that made the song kind of tough for the band to record was the drum pattern. Remember that Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham had already performed the song a few times, 
so there was a specific rhythm that they had in mind, and Mick Fleetwood's drumming style, which had more of a bluesy rock feel to it, didn't quite match up to their vision. Finally, after a couple of days' attempts, uh, producer Keith Olson took two different takes and spliced them together to create a loop. Now remember, this was still in the tape days, and that sort of thing took some careful work, with literally taking a razor blade to the tape, cutting it up, and taping it back together. I did that sort of thing back in the day. It's not tough to do, but it's very tough to do well. But in the end, the song proved to be a big hit and part of the energy that finally lifted Fleetwood Mac into the higher echelons of the music business. Rihanna and Pete peaked at number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100, plus it was a top five record in Canada. Uh, in Australia and the Netherlands, it was top 20 and it barely cracked the top 50 in the UK, but maybe not everyone in the UK is so excited to hear Welsh mythology immortalized in song. However, it became a centerpiece for the band's live performances and the heart of Stevie Nicks' image with the chiffon scarves and the top hat and all that. And they often pushed this four-minute song out to over six minutes, with Nicks herself pushing the song out to the point where Mick Fleetwood once described it as being like an exorcism. Sometimes she would sing the song to the point of straining her voice, and the band would have to cancel shows to give her an opportunity to recover. And of course, Rhiannon became a very popular girl's name in the late 1970s, rising as high as number 418 in popularity in 1977, and then it surged again in the late 1990s when Fleetwood Mac reformed, making it to 423 in 1999. And if you look up the name in baby books or websites, the translation is usually Night Queen or Divine Queen. And I also saw where it was noted somewhere that there is no connection between Rhiannon and Rihanna. Go figure. Now there are several covers of the song out there. Perhaps most notable among those would be this one from Waylon Jennings in 1985 from his album, Turn the Page. As I know, this version was not released as a single. And I guess I should mention that in 2010, Stevie Nicks teamed up with Taylor Swift to do a piece of the song during the Grammy Awards ceremony. It um, didn't go great.
mean, believe it or not, I kind of like Taylor Swift. She's way more talented than some people give her credit for being. But she was definitely off-key this particular evening. All right, remember how I said I'd come back to the Mabinogion? A woman named Evangeline Walton took the time, a big chunk of her life, to translate it from medieval Welsh into modern English, and she published her version in 1974. After Rhiannon became a big hit, someone sent a copy to Stevie Nicks, and in 1977, Nicks got an opportunity to visit Walton at her home in Tucson, Arizona. Nix told ClassicRock.com that Walton's house was totally Rhiannon. Quote, she spent her whole life on the story. She never married. She had, in essence, almost become Rhiannon. And it was trippy. Unquote. Walton told Nix that she had heard about the song and how she, too, had become entranced by the name. And Nix found a certain poetry in the fact that Walton's work ended in 1974, around the time that hers began. I think this might be the part where we all get to sing Circle of Life, right? Or maybe instead it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you about Dan Emmett, the composer of a song that still enjoys some fame today. Well, as I noted earlier, Emmett was born in Ohio, specifically in Knox County, which at the time of his birth in 1815 was still pretty much frontier country. Young Dan taught himself how to play the fiddle, and when he was 21, he enlisted in the U.S. Army, where he became an expert fife and drum player at the Newport Barracks in Newport, Kentucky. After his discharge in 1835, he toured with various circuses as a blackface banjoist and singer. And in 1843, he formed the Virginia Minstrels, who performed chiefly at the Chatham Theater in New York City. Now, blackface was already a well-established mode of performance, but the Virginia Minstrels appears to be the first group to black up the entire band rather than one or two performers, which makes them the first true minstrel show. It's not a great legacy to have, but it's kind of important to the story because one of the songs that Emmett wrote for his minstrel show was a little tune called Dixie. It was first performed at the Mechanics Hall in New York City while he was in a group called Emmett and the Bryants in 1859. The song became a runaway hit with everyone whistling Dixie, you should excuse the expression, within a few weeks. And of course, it became a huge rallying cry in the southern states. Now, Emmett was a staunch Union supporter, and the story goes that he once said, if I had known to what use they were going to put my song, I would be damned if I'd have written it. But after the Civil War, he did come around to appreciate the South's love of the song. that's a full lid on another edition of how good it is if you're enjoying the show please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere especially at podchaser right right if you want to get in touch with the show you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show uh, on twitter or instagram at how good it is you can also visit like and follow the show's facebook page at facebook.com slash how good it is pod or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcaster Up Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we give a little redemption to Taylor Swift when we shake it off. Yeah, we're making a foray into the 2000s. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time. Next time.